This is the Move the World podcast. Interviews with people dedicated to making the world a better place. With your host, George Siegel. Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode one of the Move the World podcast. I'm George Siegel. Our goal every week with this program is to introduce you to people who are doing something to make a difference in the world. Now, it may not transform the world overnight, but it's taking a step in the right direction that benefits all of us. My first guest is somebody that I've known for uh, over 20 years. Howie Nestel has spent three decades creating an extraordinary life by serving through leadership and philanthropy in his position as founder and president of San Antonio-based Sharkmatic Advertising. Now, marketing is his professional passion, but he's also launched and owned more than 20 small businesses. Howie has donated his talents and resources to more than 50 charities and created the largest annual collection drive for the homeless in San Antonio called Gotcha Covered, which is now in its 25th year. So what do you do in your spare time, Howie? You're, a, you're an incredibly <laughs> busy guy. Uh, thank you so much for joining me for the first podcast. Well, you know, George, as they say, if you want something done, give it to someone who's busy. So I guess I'm busy <laughs> and I get things done. You are. I appreciate you uh, working this into your day. So just with what I've said in your introduction, it's obvious it's part of your philosophy, but tell me if you had to describe it to somebody, what do you do that you think moves the world? Yeah, it's what, what don't I do that moves the world? Sometimes in the right direction, sometimes in the wrong direction, but that's why we're always learning, right? So I learned early on that money wasn't the answer to everything. So one thing is you can make money and become successful and you can certainly deposit into your business bank account and use that money to pay your mortgage and pay your expenses and, and, and your fun and leisure and travel. However, you should also be depositing into a spiritual bank account, um, an emotional bank account. And that is really where the difference comes between what most people call successful versus significance. My goal in life in being extraordinary is to achieve some level of significance. I look at success as something that one does for themselves, some, somewhat selfish. I look at significance as something that, that someone would do for others, especially the less fortunate. And it's what drives me because at the end of the day, what is legacy? You know, in most people's definition, it's, you know, he who dies with the most toys wins. And what do you leave for those who, who are going to remain after you? I rather redefine legacy to include what helped make my life significant. What did I do for others? What did I do for people that may not ever have the opportunity to thank me for what I did? And again, you know, George, I call myself the world's poorest philanthropist. This has nothing to do with writing a check or, or leaving a million dollars and having a wing of a museum named after me. It has more to do with like, for example, in, in, in the opening, you mentioned Gotcha Covered. It's a collection drive for the homeless. I've been doing that for 25 years. And it has no 501c3, no board of directors, no bank account. 100% of everything we collect goes directly to the people who need it most at the battered women's shelter, at a big homeless shelter called Haven for Hope, and then to our local food bank. And this past year, uh, what was amazing is that this pandemic didn't keep people from protesting, voting, or donating. We had our biggest year in 24 years. We collected 60,000 pounds of donations, primarily of non-perishable food items and new clothing, new clothing, socks, shoes, underwear, et cetera. 
um, for the people who need it most. It's just, it, it's just amazing. And it, it doesn't take much effort. So really, this is something that I do uh, because it's a, it's a calling, if you will. Now, you know, it reminds me of a story because when I lived in San Antonio, I used to try to bring stuff every year when you were out in the in the parking lot. I remember it was always cold and drizzly on those days. But I had a bunch of suits from when I was a TV broadcaster and I wasn't using them anymore. And I said, hey, do you think anybody would want them? And you said, bring the suits. We'll find use for them. And you told me a story about a guy you gave the suit to and he used it to go get a job. And that has stuck with me ever since, because you normally don't get that experience when you donate something. You think I'm just giving this away. But when you find out, wow, that that actually made a difference to somebody. That's a story that stuck with me for for a long time. Yeah. And George, man, I can tell you dozens of stories like that. And I remember that very story. Same thing happened with another friend of mine who had suits and he lost a lot of weight over 100 pounds. And he was very concerned that these very high end suits wouldn't be used properly. Well, the ironic thing that happened there, and you can call it irony, or you can call it a God wink, whatever you want. But the guy that donated him, his name is Howard, and my name is Howie. So he was concerned about donating suits. We're unloading a truckload full of clothing that that particular year. And a big guy behind me taps me on the shoulder, I turn around and he says, Hey, man, are these your suits? I said, well, no, technically speaking, they're your suits because we're donating them. I said, I'm merely the conduit from the donors to the recipients. And he says, well, could I have one? I said, yeah, absolutely. So take take a suit. And I said, hey, by the way, my name's Howie. And he goes, hey, my name's Howard. And I said, man, you're not going to believe this. The guy who donated him, his name is Howard. So I said, let's call him real quick and leave him a message. And so we called Howard. Uh, well, it wasn't to be leaving a message. It was to talk to him, but we ended up leaving a message. And that was on a Sunday, Monday rolls around. I forget about the, about what had happened. Tuesday, my phone rings and it's the donor Howard. And he says, hey, uh, he says, man, I heard the message from the recipient on Sunday. He goes, that really caught me by surprise. I wanted to call you Sunday night, but every time I picked up the phone to call you, I got choked up. Uh, called Monday, I, I just had to hang up the phone. By the time I, I'm calling you now, and he says, man, that's an amazing story. He says, because you're kind of like you, George, he was concerned that these thousands of dollars worth of suits were not going to get used by anybody. And here it was that by coincidence or God wink, the, what, the guy who's unloading them out of 25 recipients, because I unload at the shelter with the recipients and put it into their warehouse, um, happened to be named Howard too. I mean, these are just great stories. You know, I, uh, uh, you might, you might, I know you, you, your wife and my wife are friends and uh, I don't know if my wife ever told you or if I told you, but I met my wife at this event called Got You Covered because I was sleeping in a cardboard box over not to draw attention to the homeless issue. And she was working for Telemundo as a news anchor. She came out to do a live story and that's, and she came to interview some nuts sleeping along the side of a highway in a cardboard box, drawing attention to the homeless issue. And that's how we got to know each other. Now we've been married for 15, 16 years and, and three kids later. Clearly, she is the uh, the better half of that relationship. Now, <laughs> one of the things that amazes me about you, because I follow you on social media, you're you're Howie all over town. You're always going places. You're always doing things. And it seems you donate a lot of time. As, as a businessman, when I was in the same uh, market as you, it's like I wouldn't want to try to compete with you because you find a way to always get in there and help people. And like you said, money isn't always the driving force of, of why you do it. How does, how does that work for you? 
Yeah, so it's super interesting. There, there is no model that I'm following. Uh, I don't see anybody as a competitor. I see everybody as a friend. Now, other people see me as a competitor for sure. But I was on a Zoom call today with a with some people that own a much bigger ad agency than mine, and they called me to be part of a committee for a nonprofit that I was a recipient award a winner for last year, and so it it was odd. But you know, since I've known them for a long time, they know that that we're much better off having some synergy and working together on this. And I'm doing it from a philanthropic perspective to help promote the nonprofit that is their client. You see, uh, I don't want them to think I'm competing for their business, but I'm happy to help should they want my help. I am hyper competitive, but I really feel there's room for everybody. So look, you talked about having been in this market. In San Antonio and surrounding area, let's call it Bear County, there are about 120,000 registered businesses, okay? My ad agency, Sharkmatic, has done work with 1,500 clients in 30 years. That's 1%, okay? I'm not going to live long enough to do business with 7% of the businesses in San Antonio, and they're ever-changing. Some go out of business, new ones come on board. So the more, the merrier. So my deal is, you know, look, I have a, I have a staff of eight, and I rotate them through every department. They learn everything. I teach them how to present, how to sell, how to bill, and, and they already know how to do graphics and web and, and search engine optimization. But somebody said to me, they're like, that's awesome, Howie, but what if you train them and they leave? And I thought, well, what if I don't train them and they stay? Then I have a bunch of people who are only doing what I tell them to do. Yeah, no, it's great that it works out that way. I, I've been in a situation where I've a lot of the people that I've hired stick around for a little bit. They, they hone what they're doing and then they leave. But my philosophy is always that's great. You don't first of all, you don't want somebody sticking around who's not happy where they are. But if you can help somebody improve what they're doing, and they go on to better things. That should be a, a goal, especially of a, a small business. Obviously, it hurts you when they leave because you lose talent. But you need people to grow. You need them to, to think that they're valuable. And if somebody else yes. is going to provide that for them, that's a good thing. Yeah. And George, let's not even think of it altruistically. Let's think of it selfishly. What do you want a bunch of stale people who've done the same thing the same way for five to seven years? Yeah, they're talent. But then it opens up the opportunity for new talent to come in. And maybe they're not as good as the other one was, but maybe they become better and different and, and you stay fresh and relevant. So we always look at it as an opportunity when somebody leaves. But yes, short term, you're absolutely right. It hurts because you're losing talent. Somebody who already knows your you know, likes and dislikes and knows your clients. But we, we don't even tell clients when an employee leaves. We just we just continue. So I, I have somebody leaving today. Today's their last day. We already changed their signature line and, and their signature line has the new guy's name. And we're not making an announcement. We're just we're just replying back from the new guy. And I think that philosophy carries over to employees that might be disgruntled. I've worked in a lot of places and in the news business, you have a lot of unhappy people where somebody thinks they're really valuable in their job and they overvalue how valuable they are, especially on-air talent, they leave, nobody ever misses them. Or the new person comes in and brings new energy to the job and does twice as good as the person who thought they were irreplaceable. So right. it also helps that people working with you or under you understand the, the position and what their true value is. They can grow with it, but sometimes people overvalue themselves and they think that they're irreplaceable. 
Absolutely. And I know we're not we got to get off this tangent about business and people leaving, but I, I will leave you with this. Uh, we we let when a few years ago, we let our best designer at the time go and it opened up the door for the existing designers to really step up and shine because this guy was was sort of like hogging the ball, if you will. And I know you're a big sports enthusiast. And uh, then once the other players got a hold of the ball, man, they really um, did very well. Yeah, absolutely. And it looks like you've done a good job maintaining the people and the, and the, and the atmosphere at your company with COVID going on, that you haven't really let that handicap you. Yeah. So I, I kind of credit my team more for that. And I'll tell you why, because last year, mid-March, we had a few clients cancel some ongoing services because they were very nervous about what was going to happen and they wanted to save some money. And so I told my team, I said, look, if we have three clients that canceled something within a week, this is going to be a bloodbath. And one of them said, hopefully not. And I said, well, I've been in business long enough to know that it's not a coincidence that three are canceling stuff. Sure enough, the next week, seven clients canceled stuff, et cetera. And I had by that point already sent everybody home to work remotely. And six weeks after that, they all asked me if they can come back to the office and physically distance and open the windows. And this was maybe beginning of June of 2020. And by the way, while we were home, we were jamming every single day for the existing clients. I actually also reached out to some of my better clients that had canceled services because they didn't have the cash flow to pay. And I said, we're going to continue these services at no charge. You let me know when you're making enough money to pay us. In the meantime, we have the bandwidth to do it. So we'll continue to do it. On the other side, we started looking for new kinds of clients in industries that were like really profitable during the pandemic, a pool a pool builder, a home remodeler, and a few others, and uh, auto repair. And that, that kept us going. And, and it, my team really stuck to it and went back to the office. And we were jamming like nothing, man. And we're still back in the office. And now we have this Delta variant going and, you know, we test regularly. Everybody's being careful. We wear masks when we're within six feet of each other. We have good airflow. Uh, we had limited all throughout the pandemic, no clients, no vendors in our office. And then we opened that up now, but we're starting to close that off again. So again, you, you and I both have some gray hair. We've been around a long time. The name of the game is, I don't care what your superpower is. Mine used to be procrastination. I traded it in years ago and paid the upgrade charge for adaptability. If you can be adaptable, you'll have a very successful life, both personally and financially. Yeah. If somebody's trying to track you, they're going to, they're likely going to come in second because of the amount of energy that you, you put into everything. Um, they're probably not going to outwork you. If you were looking at what you thought your most successful venture was away from Sharkmatic, which, which I understand is pretty successful, would Gotcha Covered be the, the, the signature thing? Or is there something else you're really proud of that you've started? Well, Gotcha Covered definitely would be up there in my top five because over 25 years now, our 24 completed events, our 25th year event is coming up this December. We've collected must be close to 750,000 pounds of donations, which I know for most people that doesn't make any sense. But 
Uh, think about an 18 wheeler being about 40,000 pounds of donations. So it's 20, 25, 18 wheelers full of donations, mostly new items, a lot of used items for sure, but a lot of uh, food. And then I've also connected some of these nonprofits to financial donors that have supported them. So that may be donations uh, worth certainly in the millions, if not tens of millions of dollars. I'm not bragging because it's not what I donated. It's really simply what I said earlier, this conduit between people who are very generous and want to donate and then recipients, these, these big nonprofits that might otherwise not get these donations. Great example is the battered women and children's shelter. You know, they, they have to keep their residents, their members hidden from usually somebody who's an abuser. And so they can't really be out and about saying, Hey, when we're collecting for this and we're going to be at this mall and come on out and all that stuff. Um, and they, you know, they do their share of fun runs and fun walks and that kind of stuff, but I know they need stuff. So uh, I've been able to create an event where people who have the means donate high-end clothing, purses, shoes, jewelry. I, I was at the Battered Women's Shelter last year to interview a woman whose husband was a pastor who had been abusing her for 21 years. The day her youngest son left to college was the day she got into her Mercedes Benz in another city, drove to the airport and flew to San Antonio. She didn't have friends or family here, but she had heard of the Battered Women and Children's Shelter here and she needed to go into hiding. And she flew here. And, and in the interview, she said, the dress I'm wearing, the jewelry I'm wearing, the, the nail polish, the products I use for my hair, all came from Got You Covered. I left Chicago with nothing with me other than a small suitcase of some souvenirs, never to go back. So I know that makes a difference. But then again, multiply that times a variety of things. And I've been a, a, a part of, for example, Camp Discovery, a camp for kids battling cancer. You and I worked on a project called Art for Life, where we did an art project for kids battling cancer and terminal illnesses that, that then raised tens of thousands of dollars that went to art therapy programs for children. So these are the things that I'm most proud of is, is doing things for people that will probably never know I had a hand in it, but nevertheless helped give people a hand up, not necessarily a handout, but put them back on track because we've all been there. I mean, I've been there, you know, I've had medical challenges, somebody helped. I had a house fire and I was in a hotel with no possessions and three young children when a friend of mine came and dropped off a Suburban for me to use for a few days until I got the insurance straight and went and bought a car, rented a car and all the stuff I needed to do. We're all, if you're a human and you've been around for any length of time on this earth, you need a hand up at least once in your life. So when you're in a position to do one, why not, why not give somebody a hand up? Now, how would people find that, uh, got you covered to, if they wanted to see more about what you do. How would yeah. So for sure, I won't be asking you for money, but go to gotchacovered.org, G-O-T-C-H-A, covered, C-O-V-E-R-E-D.org. And you can see what we've done. You could look at videos. And, uh, and if you're inspired, there's an address on there. Order some stuff from one of these online vendors. Order some, you know, a few packages of socks and underwear for children or adults, uh, some hoodies, sweatshirts, T-shirts, and have them shipped to that to my office, and I will take them to one of these nonprofits on your behalf this coming uh, uh, December at, at the 25th annual Gotcha Cover. 
That's great. Now, in, in your day-to-day operations of running a business, doing all the philanthropy stuff that you do, what, what do you think your biggest challenges are? What, what challenges you regularly? Yeah, so uh, I would say the biggest challenge are human beings. You know, is that too broad for you? <laughs> Having to deal with humans. I get it. Yeah. So, so it, but, but how do you, and people are difficult to deal with. I, I, I've, sometimes I wake up and I go, oh, this would be great if there were no people you know, to live in a world of no people, because you go to the supermarket, somebody leaves their cart five feet from the return, somebody who's not wearing a mask that's walking around coughing. I mean, there's always something, there's someone, there's that guy at the gym that leaves his stuff on the equipment and then goes and works out in another part of the gym. So when you're dealing with people in an employee, employer type of relationship or working with people that are volunteers, how do you balance all those personality differences? Yeah. So what I'm working on, and it's a work in progress, Kaizen, you know, Japanese continuous improvement, is that I am coming to the realization that not only is not everybody not are not everybody else are not me, they shouldn't be me, they shouldn't even be like me, they should be like them. And if I'm going to be a good leader and a good manager, then I should steer them in a positive direction. Not necessarily what I want, not necessarily what they want, but what I tell my wife and kids, a successful compromise is when nobody gets what they wanted. (laughs) Very simply. So we meet somewhere in the middle. And hopefully that middle is synergy. And when you have synergy, you have some kind of outcome that you didn't expect, they didn't expect, but it's better than anything either one of us could have done on our own. So that's one thing that I do with my staff, for example. With my clients, I've come to realize after three decades in business is that my clients are judging me by, by the last project I did for them and what I'm doing for them today. They don't care about awards. They don't care that I was on George Eagle's podcast. They don't care. They, they want, what did you do today? And they also have days that are not very good. And if I happen to be the person they're meeting with that day, then guess what? I get the brunt of that. I know that overall, I have confidence because I've done great work, remarkable work, work that's moved the needle for a lot of clients. But you know what? My car wash client could care less what I did for my swimming pool client and the success I had with them. They want to know the success I've had with a car wash client. And then the car wash client doesn't even want to know about the success I've had with them over the last 15 years. They want to know that the email blast we're working on is going to work because it's going out today at five o'clock. And if there's no people going to get their car wash on Sunday, then somehow it's the agency's fault, right? But if it works gangbusters, they take the credit. Why? Because they're the client. Because it was their idea to do $5 off. See what I'm saying? So a lot of times it's a, it's, it's thankless, but again, that's really not why you're in business to get out of voice, right? Your, your, your incentive comes sometimes in the form of a check or in the form of satisfaction that you did something and it worked and you know that you made it work, even though somebody else is taking the credit. Yeah. I think there's a lot of people that run a business that, that lose sight of that. And they actually think it's more about them than about the client. And sometimes even if the client is wrong, if you it's not, you, you can't blame them. And I mean, there may be a point where you have to blame them, but they really have to push that pretty far. Right. And, and I, I agree with that philosophy, you know, and it's, you have to work with people, but also you don't, you can't impose your will on people, especially if they're paying you, if they're hiring you, they, they have to be heard. And, and a lot of people don't do that. I've, I have a lot of trades that have come through my house here and where I live now and people that I've tried to do business with. 
that they you wonder how they're even in business. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I, I hear you. You know, look, at the end of the day, do you want the project to be successful or do you want to be right? <laughs> because it's going to be one or the other. Very rarely is it both. Now, what about, uh, you've also lately, uh, it's probably been going on for a while, uh, you're a public speaker. You like to do speaking engagements. Tell me about yeah, that. Yeah, so, so uh, you know, my, my price, I was kind of patterning myself after Google. I figure if I do them all for free, then I'll become a billionaire. So that hadn't really panned out. But, but what happened here recently, a school district hired me to do their convocation and be the keynote speaker. And the, the charter school is a not-for-profit, really it's a non-profit charter school system. And so my pricing generally for non-profits is zero. So the superintendent had seen one of my talks. I didn't know him very well. And he said, you know, this guy might be good for our convocation. So he asked me, how much do you charge for, for talks? And I was like, okay, well, uh, doctor, thank you for asking. My, my range is between zero and $1,500. Zero, because that's what I charge nonprofits. 1,500 is because that's the highest amount I had ever gotten paid for a talk. So he didn't bat an eye and he said, okay, send me an invoice for 1,500. I was like, okay, fantastic. So it was a 45 minute speech. I almost thought about charging him $500 just to pay me to stop talking, you know? <laughs> but uh, we did, we did uh, I did a 45 minute talk and I freaking loved it. I sort of felt guilty that I got paid so much. And of course, good. I went to lunch and it was at a country club and, and, and people asked questions afterwards and they came in and we took pictures and they thought it was very moving and I tailored the talk to them. And again, it's, it's really part of what we're talking about today, uh, living an extraordinary life, giving back, community service. But it also had to do with education because these are all 150 educators and administrators so I went into like my probably like non-stellar middle school and high school uh, uh, history, you know, and they thought that was funny to talk about that and how a few teachers actually turned my life around, you know. And, and so those are the kinds of things I tell in, in my stories and when I speak and I love public speaking. I don't really try to be an expert on things I don't know about or that anybody can go read on Google. But look, I've lived a long time. I'm 57 right now. I've, I've been a partner or owner or founder in probably close to two dozen businesses. I've been involved with over 50 nonprofits, I'm leadership roles, board of directors, founder, et cetera, 50 nonprofits. I mean, that, that makes me pretty extraordinary in the sense that it's outside the ordinary. That's all I mean by extraordinary. Different path, right? The, the road less traveled. And people like to hear that story because I think a lot of people say, well, I'd also love to do some work for nonprofits. I just don't have the time. Well, everybody has the time. Everybody has the wherewithal. And I always say, look, the opportunity to save somebody's life, that opportunity rarely presents itself. But donating clothes, time, voice, shelter, those opportunities present themselves every single day. And at the end of the day, right, you know, you, you get to end of times and, and you meet your maker and, you know, what's, what's your resume going to say? You know, what are they going to judge you by? Again, it shouldn't be your only driver. Sure, there's a lot of people that are atheists and agnostic, but really, you know, even then, like, what do you want your legacy to be? What, what do you want to have come onto this earth and made an impact, made a difference, 
change some people's lives? Or do you want to uh, live sort of closed, sheltered, inward facing, make money, do really cool things, be admired for your accomplishments and revered that way um, in terms of financial success? Everybody's got to decide their that that you know that that question. I, I like to go back to to you know the 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 philosophical question is that do I live in a world that is hostile where people are trying to take advantage of me and they're greedy? Or do I live in a universe where people are kind and life is happening for me, not to me? And how you answer that question, how everybody answers that question determines what kind of life you're going to live. Yeah, you're probably a lot less uh, cynical than I, than I am about people. You know, I think back, I, I hear about those speaking opportunities. When I was uh, a TV broadcaster, I used to get asked to, to speak all the time. Now that I, I think I'm a lot more interesting now, and it's a lot harder to get asked to do those things, and certainly a lot more difficult to get somebody to pay you for it. Um, one of the things we see as filmmakers is people think you make a film, so now you're just going to give all your time to show people the film, talk about the film, Whereas the successful ones, the ones that are the most famous are the ones that aren't afraid to ask for what they're worth, but still they're giving back. So it's, it's finding that balance. It's very hard to do in anything. Right. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm running an event called man camp in Wimberley the weekend of September 10th, 11th and 12th. And I'll pay for you to fly down and be our speaker. You've asked that? me that for years. I come from a long tradition of non-campers. <laughs> you know, my idea of camping, I, I tell my kids, is a three-star hotel. You're right. So uh, um, I, I think I'm busy that weekend. Uh, the, the other thing I wanted to ask you about is when you encounter these, uh, these obstacles in your job, when you run into what you think is a brick wall, mm -hmm. which people do on a daily basis, and they go, I, I, don't, I don't know how to get out of this. It's kind of hopeless. You don't seem like you let those kind of things bother you, do you? You find a way around any problem. Yeah, you know what? Like, like uh, you know, I, I'm a normal human being, but I don't give myself that opportunity to have a pity party for more than a few minutes. You know, if I'm going to have one, it's going to be a very short party, and then I'm going to move on to fight this thing. It's the same thing that happened with a pandemic. By the way, it's the same thing that happened with my business after 9-11 uh, and, and Y2K and 2008. You're like, okay, so it's on, it's happening. Here's a chance to use, you know, all the motivational and inspirational and business uh, tapes, CDs, and, and YouTube videos I've ever watched. Here's all the things that I've talked about and gave as advice to entrepreneurs and talks. Now I get to implement them. One. Two, the lessons are really learned in the challenges. I know that's cliche, but man, you know, like I get pretty bored when things are going too well in my business and in my personal life. So I look to find the hard way of doing things. I think, you know, and, and man, I'm going to get some crap for this. You know, uh, I gave a talk the other day. I said, you know, we're too soft. I'm too soft. You're too soft. I think we're raising our, I think our kids are too soft. 
Well, there's no doubt about it. You know, and so I have my kids in martial arts. And then a few years ago, they said, well, dad, yeah, that's easy for you to say because you're not doing it or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. But but I run businesses and I have dozens of employees and I'm done. And I'm like, you know what? But you're what? They're right. So I joined martial arts and I've been doing it now for four and a half years, Kung Fu and Wing Chun. I do it at least twice a week. So I'm now, you know, one belt away from black belt. And I've gotten my ass kicked plenty of times, punched in the face, all that stuff. And, you know, Tyson said, right? everybody's got a great plan until you get punched in the face. Well, that's the same thing in martial arts. You have a great plan of how the, 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 the scrimmage or the, 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 the fighting's going to go until somebody punches you square in the face. And you're like, Oh my God, I haven't been punched like that since I was in third grade, you know? But again, that's what happens in business entrepreneurship, but, but there's also in, in a regular job, not regular, meaning like not entrepreneurship in a corporate job, you have challenges there. You have bosses, you have clients, you have uh, counterparts and people you have to report to. So there is no quote unquote safe hiding place. Earth is designed, this planet is designed to not be safe. We're a heck of a lot safer than we used to be when we had saber toothed tigers chasing us, but we're not, we're not safe. Okay. This pandemic, the variant, this is proven to us that it's not safe. And you know how I know it's not safe because nobody gets out alive. So, so where, where do you want your challenges to be? There's challenges in being poor. There's challenges in being rich. There's challenges in being an employee. There's challenges in being a sole entrepreneur, you know, or as I like to call it self-unemployed, you know, but there are challenges everywhere. So pick your challenge and then step it up get some confidence by overcoming those challenges, then step it up another notch and learn to like the challenge. And then after that, put yourself in front of challenges all the time. And then you'll always be battle ready. You think green berets would much rather be on a base in Las Vegas, controlling things from a simulator. No, they want to be dropped out of an airplane at midnight, somewhere in the middle East and go do what they've been trained to do. So I've been trained as an entrepreneur. I want some challenges. Now I look forward to them and, and I, and I look for the opportunity to mix things up, not only for me, but for my staff. Now, you said something interesting when it came time to philanthropy and, and how people say they don't have time. Um, and you say everybody does have a way to make time and time may not be spending eight hours at the food bank. It may mean using some of your resources to connect other people or making a donation. So there's really everybody can do something according to what you say. Is that true? Yeah. Not only can everybody do something and use their resources, Let's, I'm going to go back to resources in a second, but I would, I would even substitute a word in there. I would say, use your talents because resources almost sounds like you're going to deplete something that you have because it's your resource. But what about your talent? Wow. Now it's no longer a depletable resource because with talent, the more you use it, the better it becomes. So I use my talents I use my talents as a marketer to help my nonprofits advance their causes because I can influence media people. I can influence donors. I can influence volunteers to go and help. And all I have to do is be like Chapo Guzman, sending out texts and emails and getting other people to do all the stuff for me. And I could just sit around and use my talent to bring all these forces together to help them. 
Didn't cost me a penny. Didn't even really cost me much time, George. So it didn't deplete any of my resources. So let's, let's go back to your word of resources. What do most people say they lack? Resources, right? I don't have enough time. I don't have enough money. I don't have, I'm not that young anymore. I don't have the energy. I don't have the right skin color. I don't have the right last name, the right religion. Checking all those boxes. Yeah, my, my parents, I didn't grow up on the right side of the tracks. My parents, I don't know, speak the language. These are all resources, okay? And as true as it sounds that we don't have the resources to do something, that I'm going to call bullshit on that. And I'm going to tell you why. Because it's usually a lack of resourcefulness. And it has nothing to do with a lack of resources. The resources are the excuse, but it's usually a lack of resourcefulness in that person. Because now at our age, George, we could look back and we could honestly say that we are the sum total of every decision that we've made to this day. The reason you live where you are, the reason you have the family that you do and the kids and all have, has everything to do with the, with the sum total of every decision you've made to this point. And we are all one decision away from changing our life in a drastic and profound way. One decision. But we don't turn, we don't, we don't make it a decision. We don't make it a decision. Why? Because we choose rather to say that it's a dream or a goal or someday or whatever. Decision has that Latin root in it of incision means to cut off. So once you make a decision, that has to be your new standard. And if you make a decision that from day to day forward, you are going to help some nonprofit one time a month by donating blank dollars, time, effort, talent, whatever it is, you made a decision that whatever you've done before, you've cut away. What you do from that point forward, that's that's your new decision and your new standard. And we're all there. Okay. So for the person that's listening or watching this and they're just they're just they're spinning their wheels. They're not doing anything. They're thinking about doing things. What can you say to them to get them off the couch or get them out of the house to say, I'm gonna actually try to make a difference and move the world? Yeah, I, I can say a lot of things. Okay. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of bottom line it to a few. Okay. You've been to church, synagogue, mosque, and they've told you whatever you give, whatever you donate, you're going to get back eightfold, tenfold, twentyfold. I don't know if that's true or not. Okay. I will tell you that after having been involved with more than 50 nonprofits, having been involved with charity projects and individuals that are not even connected to a charity project that become a project of mine because I'm in a position to help them. Okay. Over 35 years now. Okay. I've gotten back from those things so much more than I've put in. There's not a multiplier. I can't even multiply it. I can't even quantify it for you. I've made contacts with people who are millionaires and billionaires that have been involved with nonprofit projects of mine that, that I connected with them through nonprofit. I would have never met them with my small ad agency, you know, but, but I got connected to them through philanthropy and nonprofit. I told you I met my wife through doing nonprofit work. I may not have ever met her and I wouldn't have the kids that I have. Um, I've had people that have come out to help me when my house burned down and we moved into a hotel and people came out of the woodwork to help me. 
you know, I've had medical. So, so there's so many benefits you're going to get. So that's one thing I would say to them. Number one, number two, I would simply ask, are you going to die with the music still in you? I know that you have a spark. Everybody has a spark in them to do good and to go and make a change in the world. They just don't know how, and they, they think it needs to be a grand slam home run. I'm telling you, it needs to be a bunt. It needs to be a walk. It needs to be a single hit because you put up enough of those. They're going to collectively be a lot more valuable than one home run. And that is going to be your legacy. So the question is, what do you want your legacy to be? Yeah, I think that's part of the problem for people who are, are trying to get started is when you look at somebody else's resume or hear somebody else's story, it can be pretty intimidating because you feel they're so far ahead of you. It's like they've done all that and I've done nothing. But that really then highlights, but you got to start somewhere because they started somewhere too. Hearing your story, you don't start with, most people don't start with everything and, and you yeah. have to build that as you go along. Right. And, and I'm starting stuff every, every year. I start a new project, a new nonprofit project. And, you know, the philosophy is you don't have to be great when you start, but you do have to start. If you plan on being great at some point, you have to have that starting point. And, and, you know, somebody asked me the other day, well, are you, are you thinking about a new, are you going to start a new nonprofit uh, initiative? I said, well, I don't have one in mind, but I am probably already working on it, you know, meaning like somehow inside, I know it's brewing. And then I'm open to the possibility that I'm going to run into that idea and it's going to meet me. So you talked about, you know, being some somewhat, uh, you know, uh, cynical and, 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 and seeing sometimes the bad in what people are doing, you go to the grocery store, whatever it is. So I'm looking, you know, at, at Homer and, and, and Shrek behind you. And it reminds me of this little exercise that I've done with entrepreneurs. So for those of you that are watching, I don't want you to turn around and give the back of your head to, to the audience. And I know you wouldn't because you're, 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 you were on TV for a long time, but for example, so I would, I would ask your audience, take a look at everything in George's office, okay? So look at everything and, and kind of look in deep and look at, uh, let's say, think of three things that are yellow, okay? And now just think yellow, count. Uh, I, I see at least three things that are yellow. So look for something that's yellow. And I would tell your audience now, close your eyes. Okay, you thinking about all those things that you saw that were yellow? Okay, you're remembering them? All right. Now tell me three things that are blue. And they're going to be like, uh, not sure. But you didn't say look for blue. You said look for yellow. I said, sure. Now open your eyes. Okay. Now you can see Homer's uh, pants uh, are, are, are blue. There's a blue, you know, the, the painting at the, the picture at the top looks like it's got some blue. There's something behind Shrek's arm that looks blue. There's, you know, so there are things that are blue on the screen, right? But you weren't looking for blue. So what are you looking for when you go out into the world? Are you looking to get pissed off? Are you looking for somebody to leave a grocery cart too close to your, you know, German SUV that could have possibly scratched it? Are you looking for somebody to be rude that you held the door for that didn't say thank you? Because if you're looking for that, you are going to find it. The, the earth and the world gives you back what you are. You know, there's this misconception that somehow God and the planet and mother nature gives you what you want. It doesn't. The, 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 the world, life, life is a mirror. It reflects on you what you are. 
So I'm now throwing you a little bit under the bus, but I know you have a, a deep sense of appreciation for stuff also, but you get more fun out of pointing out and being right about people being crappy sometimes, right? But I bet you that if you go out and look for blue, meaning for somebody to say thank you or please, or hand you a wipe for the grocery cart or whatever, you're going to see that. But because those things are around, it's just that you're not necessarily, and, and I'm the same way, by the way, I'm not always tuned into that. Why? Because we're, we're pre-wired for like looking for negative shit, right? Oh, now it's drizzling. Oh, now look at the traffic. What about about the first 25 minutes of your path where there was no traffic and you got every light. Well, we're not looking for that. We're only looking for when the traffic slowed down on the highway. See what I'm saying? I think we both watch Curb Your Enthusiasm. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> yes. And, and see those kind of things. I, I just happen to, those things do tend to find me on a, on a regular basis where you'll say something and the other person will react a certain way. Um, but I do hear what you're saying. And I think that that's certainly, you know, solid advice for somebody to used to point them to more positivity than negativity. Yeah. And again, going back to what would you do to get started in nonprofit? Well, look, do anything. Every nonprofit needs some kind of help in some way, and you have some kind of talent that would benefit them, even if you're making calls from home, even whatever it happens to be, okay? So um, posting on social media, why don't you sh share it? People that are on social media, see you see something that you like, instead of just giving it a thumbs up or scrolling and doom scrolling and looking for all the bad news, go out and find something good that's somebody's doing and then share it and say, you know, I was looking at this story about this man with his child who has a physical disability. And I was so moved by it. The video is really worth watching. And so I clicked on the link and I donated $25 and I'm sharing it with all my friends. And I encourage you to do the same thing. Something like that. You know, it's a, it's a little scroll. It's a little something. You'll find something. I think sometimes deep down inside, we're all a little bit afraid that we're going to find something that's going to make us emotional, that we're going to get connected to. And then now all of a sudden we have to care too much for this. And now we're involved in all that stuff. I mean, look, the, the feral cat society in San Antonio during a day called the big give raises tens of thousands of dollars. So people connect, people connect and, and every, all of us as human beings can connect to something, but but you, but you, but you got to be open. You got to be open to that connection. And I, and I promise you, or I'll give you hundred percent of your money back. If you don't connect and you do some nonprofit stuff and it turns out to be a big waste of time, I will reimburse your money for this advice. How about that? Careful. A lot of people may take you up on that, but then they really miss the message if they try to take you up on it because it's what's behind that message, not literally trying to uh, get a refund from there you on go. that. So Howie, how do people get in touch with you if they want to uh, get you as a speaker, deal with Sharkmatic? How would they reach out to you? So I have, uh, I mentioned, got you covered already. I have two websites, one for my business, which is sharkmatic.com, S-H-A-R-K-M-A-T-I-C.com. And my personal website where I do my speaking and motivational and inspirational stuff is howienestel.com, H-O-W-I-E. And like Nancy, E-S-T-E-L.com, howinestel.com. All right. Well, listen, thanks for being part of the, the first podcast. I think you have, uh, you, know, you know, sometimes I get a little annoyed because it looks like you're having too much fun, <laughs> but uh, I, I have a tremendous amount of respect for all that you're out there doing and you're, all, you're always on the go. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. And, and I'll tell you that at this point, it's, it's really more selfish than anything else. 
yes, it might do a lot of good, but I enjoy it so much and I get so much out of it. It's why I continue to do it and why I come alive doing it. Because sometimes, you know, look, after 30 years of going to the office, it's a, sometimes some of that stuff becomes routine. But with nonprofits, especially with a variety of nonprofits and helping out, it's some new challenge every single day that I'm not necessarily a subject matter, matter expert on. And so it, it challenges me. Awesome. Well, Howie, thank you. And uh, thank you, everybody, for joining me on our first podcast. The logo for my documentary film company is two people trying to move the world with a giant lever. Now, you might not see the results right away, but in the end, they move it just enough to make a difference. We'll see you next time.